Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yes, it is. That's what it is. It's mystery murdery thingy. Welcome to the mystery murdery thingy. I'm really excited. <laughs> yes, because it's Wednesday and I finished my write up. Woo! Yeah. Oh yeah. Being super it's gonna be responsible. A good night. It's gonna be a good good night. Speaking of a good night, I really need one. Good night, moon. Good night, stars. Good night. Good night, clouds. <laughs> Good night, cow jumping Good over night, the moon. Good night, grass. Good night, Chloe. Good. <laughs> Close your eyes. <laughs> um, I'm Mario. I'm Chloe. This, this is like mystery, mystery murdery thingy. thingy. And we talk about mysteries. And, and thingies. And, and this week we're doing some... Government... Weird cover shit. Ups. Cover ups. Things that happened in actual real life. Yes, but that governments do not want you to know about. Okay, so I want to go first because you said yours was a discussion. Did I? Or not a discussion. Like you just said it was, there's a lot to it. Yeah, it's kind of uh, recent history, you know. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it, it, I could have done research for probably like, uh, like a billion hours, and I did it for like two hours. <laughs> but I also uh, I had also like read about it before, like in the news and stuff. Anyway, you 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 can go first. I don't. That's fine with me. Okay. Oh my god. Do your thing. Move shit around. Okay. There we go. I'm almost ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Are you ready? Take your glasses off. Am I ready? I have my glasses off. By the way, off. I make I'm Mario prepared. take his. I make Mario take his glasses off because he likes to read ahead, and he just reads the whole page, and it's <laughs> and it's like okay. Well, then why am I saying it out loud if you're not going to listen to me? I, I'll read like one random word, and you like freak out. Yeah, it's a surprise. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so let's discuss German politician Uwe Barschel. I think that's how that goes. Sure, Barschel. Barschel. Uh, Barsh, whatever. <laughs> Barsh, I'm saying Barshal. Cool. Mysterious death. At only 38, Barshal was one of the youngest politicians to be elected minister president of the German state Schleswig-Holstein. He was a prominent member of the Christian Democratic Union. So, oh, okay. There's the Christian Democratic Union, the CDU, then there's the RDP which is the, no, the SPD, which is the Social Democratic Party of Germany. And that's like kind of the two governments that are in, I, I suppose they're the ones that are in power, the parties that are in power. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Angela Merkel is like there's a lot. Christian Democrat. There's a lot of um, parties in yeah, Germany. Exactly. I mean, it's it's more like that kind of like parliamentary system where you have like a bunch of parties you like form coalitions and sometimes like weird coalitions form. Like we don't, we're like not used to that because it's just like Republican or Democrat. Yeah. But there it's like way more complicated. So this was, this is his corner of that world. And when is this exactly? Um, mid to late 80s. Oh, okay. In the 80s. So there, 
So we have a Germany politician, in the 80s right? seems like it would be really fun, by the way. Like Why? If, I just, I just, I'm picturing like a club in Berlin in like 1985, like shit ton of leather, lots of cocaine, lots of cocaine, lots of like anonymous sex in the bathrooms and like glory holes and shit. Ew. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily have hung out there. I just think it makes a good setting for like a movie or something. All right, get it, film it, do it. Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. So but the Christian do it. The Christian Democratic Union right and the Social Democratic Party of Germany. Um so what happened that kind of set this off, I think, is um they had like a kind of Watergate scandal. They called it the Watercant Gate. Um, so, like, here he is. Like, he's at the top of his career. He's doing really well. And then he's getting ready for the upcoming elections, election campaign. Um, so, a quit. Okay, so. Sorry, I'm like really. Okay. <laughs> so, a quick summary of Watergate. So, basically, burglars were caught at the DNC HQ. The. Democratic National Committee headquarters. Um, turns out they were like working for Nixon, I guess, and then they're looking for dirt on something to like bring down the the Democrats because um, they wanted to sway the vote for upcoming elections. Right. It was part of the Nixon, you know, committee to reelect Nixon or whatever. It's like teenagers like getting dirt on each other. That's like what I thought about. And they were like found out by this um, like night watchman. Yeah. Yeah, which is pretty funny. It was just, like, some, you know, guy who was, like, not a real policeman. <laughs> and he, like, broke the biggest political scandal in, like, the past 50 years. Okay, um, revealed lots of crazy shit, like, these burglars were being paid by Nixon's campaign and that he had been recording conversations and shit. Barshall was kind of sort of accused of something similar. Okay. So, Barshall's media advisor... Reiner Pfeiffer told German news magazine Der Spiegel that he was ordered by Barshall to spy on the SPD. Um, him and his top election candidate Bjorn Engholm. So he, what, so what their plan? Their plan was uh, they wanted to bring an anonymous charge of suspicions of tax evasion against Engholm. So they were gonna mm. like sum up find up this way to to get him on trial for tax right. evasion. Trump up some charges. Yes, yes. Um, Pfeiffer said that he was given orders to install a bugging device in Barshall's phone and accused the SPD of being perpetrators. Now, these are pretty heavy accusations, very serious. Um, this scandal definitely messed up his life and messed up his career. Um, he never admitted to anything. Um, September 18th, 1987, he even said to the press that none of the accusations are true. Quote, I give you my word of honor. I repeat my word of honor that the charges brought against me are unfounded. End quote. Well, he resigned. Hmm. Yeah. October 2nd, 1987, after his party, the CDU dropped him. Oh. Yeah. So they, they kind of, like, pushed him out a little. That is kind of Nixonian, too. Like, there's the famous story of, like, Republican senators going into Nixon, you know, the office, the Oval Office or whatever, and just, like, telling him, like, hey, like, it's done. Like, you can't be president anymore. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, we won't support you. Do you think that's going to happen? With Trump? No, we're not doing this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean, there are definitely people making those comparisons but hey who know who knows who fucking knows you want to talk about dead people <laughs> you, you want to talk about failed politicians you want to talk about death <laughs> yeah okay. i mean mine's definitely going to talk more about death so we'll we'll get we'll get there we're getting there you're rubbing your hands so vigorously <laughs> okay i don't know what to do with them <laughs> what do i do with my feet <laughs> sorry that's a <laughs> A reference to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Back into this. You'll get it if if you've watched a lot of It's Always Sunny. (laughs) He's sitting on a stool. He doesn't know what to do with his feet. That show is not funny. It's 
fu- it's not funny. It's fucking hilarious. It's so stupid. The, funny. It's yes. so stupid. Yes. It's very funny and stupid. Okay, they go, are like, go on with okay, the story. This is not a review. We're getting really <laughs> off topic today. That's on me. Death. 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 October 1987, Uwe Barshel goes on vacation to the beautiful Gran Canaria in Spain um, after this scandal kind of tore up his life. Mm-hmm. Um, being a, Having such heavy accusations against him, it just like, that was it. Media right. came in like, like, like squirrels on an acorn or something. I've n- never heard anyone say that before. Because I made it up. Okay. Meanwhile, <laughs> the you. Meanwhile, the investigation committee um is like great you're on vacation but I need you to come we need you to come back to Ger- Germany for so we can for this investigation. Mm. Um he's like okay wait no I'm going <laughs> to use this to get information to prove that I'm innocent. And then I what did he he said, like, give me, like, a couple days or something. So he goes to Geneva to visit his mysterious informant, Robert Olef. The next day, Barshell was found dead in his bathtub in his hotel room, fully clothed. The cause of death is said to be an overdose of medicine, but it was ruled a suicide. And his family is also convinced that he was he was murdered. Hmm. I mean, it definitely seems like he could have been murdered. He was, like, at this point where he was going to get information to prove that he was innocent. Right. It seemed like he was on this kind of, like, mission, this quest. Why would he have killed himself? Yeah. Before he proved his innocence. Yeah. There was a a slow investigation by police that never really led to anything until November of 2010, which is much later, 30-some years later. The respected Swiss toxicologist Hans Brandenburger, an ex- <laughs> that's Brandenburger. What it is. an expert witness in many criminal cases um, in Germany. He so he looked at it, concluded after um, a long examination that Barshell indeed had been murdered. Uh, he said that the drugs found in his room and body are virtually impossible for like a normal person who's not like a a, a physicist or or something. Um, to to get you can't just like get it, um, and so they deemed it like a professional hit, hmm. like some drug cartel shit maybe I don't know. So this scandal went quite deep, and we didn't really find out what happened until six years later. This is a pretty good plot twist here. Okay, okay. so Pfeiffer. The apparent whistleblower, the one who was like, I was ordered to bug Barshell's phone. Right. Was in control the entire time. What? He was given 50,000 German marks by the minister of the social, the SPD, their, their like rival uh, party. Mm-hmm. Now Bjorn Engholm became the victim. So Bjorn Engholm was the top guy at the at the SPD. Oh. And he was like kind of like profiting off of this. Like he was playing the victim card. Interesting. On his votes and it worked really well until until 6 years later when most of this has passed. Um and then he resigned in 1993. So Barshell is deemed innocent, but it's too late cuz this is 6 years later and he's dead. Yeah, you know, being innocent and dead, I guess that's better than being guilty and dead. But I wouldn't you rather be like guilty <coughs> and alive, I guess? Or better yet even no. innocent and alive. I think that's the best one. Probably. That's us right, right now. For for now, we haven't done anything yet. Yet. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> we'll um, see. So let's go over some theories. Cool. Victor Ostro... This kind of blows the whole thing open, by the way. But, yeah. So, a guy named Victor Ostrovsky, he was like a one-time agent for Mossad, wrote a memoir titled (laughs) The Other Side of Deception. A rogue agent exposes the Mossad's secret agenda. And it 
went into detail about this incident. So the basic account is that Barshell was lured to the hotel by Robert Olaf, who was his mysterious informer. That's what we thought. Um, but he was actually on the SPD side. So he like lured Barshell to the hotel, gave him a call. Um, they had dinner and he was given a sedative in his wine. And then he went to his room, fell unconscious. And then the Israeli assassins broke in fed Barshal Barbrichowicz through a feeding tube, then gave him some kind of pill that induced a fever. And then they took him to a bath bathtub in ice-cold water, and his body goes into shock. And he, his heart stops and he dies. The f- fuck? The fuck is right. That's an incredibly complex way to serve out a hit on someone. Like, that that's completely insane. It's very bizarre. Um, is that is that like real? Well, is here's like, the thing. Is that what really happened? Here's the thing. An official did say that Ostrovsky's credibility is in question because the stories in his book, some of them can be like proved, like it's public knowledge, like this is this happened. Um, in his book, are exaggerated. Some information is true, some of it's false, and a lot of it is gossip. Yeah, that's. I just don't know why you would go to all that trouble. To kill. It's a very weird story. Mm. It's a very strange story. Yeah. I mean, I guess the Mossad is... I mean, I've heard that they're involved in, like, a lot of covert stuff. Yeah. You know, a lot of, like, special operations, Oh, you that's know? so weird. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows what the fuck, you know? I love action movies. <laughs> I mean, they are, like, the CIA or, like, any of these, like, organizations is up to, right? The fucking GRU. The what? It's uh, Russia military intelligence. The ones oh. who, like, you know, led the battle on American democracy <laughs> against American democracy. Yeah. The FCU. Or what's, the APA. What's that? The American or the Psychological MTL. Association. I'm just making up <laughs> Metro Metrolina. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, I think that was the train organization down in North Carolina. <laughs> MTA. It's not Amtrak. Uh no, there's Amtrak too. Amtrak. But like the you know, the one like going around the city or whatever. Oh. Um, are you done? Yeah. Any other yeah. any other thoughts or theories or um, queries or it wasn't suicide. And I think Suicide <laughs> is painless. I think he like um one of the parts of the theories was that he was killed because he knew too much about, like, arms dealing between sure. the Israelis and the uh, Iranians during the time. There was arms dealings between Iran and Israel? I suppose. That's what Wikipedia said. That seems unlikely. They've always been, like, bitter enemies. Wait, when? Like, in the 80s? Yeah, in the 80s. I mean, I know there was, like, the Iran-Contra affair... Where, like, the U.S. was, like, you know, buying Iranian weapons to give to the rebels in, like, Nicaragua or whatever. My sources were Wikipedia, a website. So a lot of them were in German at the bottom. It's at the bottom. Oh, okay. A lot of them were in German. Uh-huh. So I only had a couple. One of them's from the 20 Committee, a website with a lot of this crap. Um <laughs> And I found some episode of some show, season one episode, ep- episode 88 of a show called The 100 Years Series. That cool. had a lot of the gritty details. Hmm. That sounds like it would be an interesting series. It's, good. it's like, like an episode for every year or what? Mm, I don't know. Oh, okay. But this was only like eight minutes long. Oh, so okay. I think they do multiple stories in one episode. Okay. And okay. this person cut the... That second one. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Uh, now I'm going to do mine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Mario's turn. Woo! <laughs> okay. Um, so I'm going to talk about Russia's secret war in eastern Ukraine. So... Secret? It's secret... In the sense that they do not admit that they are involved in this <coughs> conflict in eastern Ukraine. As we will see, it is not so much in doubt 
but it's kind of one of those like open secrets, right? And there are definitely parts of this that are more like mysterious than others. Okay. But like what we do know is that on April 12th of 2014, a guy named Igor Gherkin, a former, in scare quotes, Russian military officer, secretly crossed the border into Ukraine with a few dozen troops and actually um, kind of started this, you know, so-called invasion into Ukraine. Do we know why? Um, Not exactly, but we'll get to the theories at the end. Um, Okay, so that's part of the question. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of one of the, the, maybe the central mystery about all this is like, why? Why is Russia, you know, Putin specifically, like, so fixated on Ukraine and, like, carrying out this low-level conflict that's been going on for, like, four years. I think Um, at the beginning of, before we do, like, our things, we should do, like, so what are the questions we have here that, why, how, and hmm. why is this a mystery? Yeah, like, what are the mysteries? Yes. And maybe, like, a little bit of I think it would be good for this one, yeah. That's true. There's, like, a lot of, that I could do in terms of, like, background information for this. I've read, like, a lot about, like, the history of Ukraine, like, how it, it's been part of Russia, it's been, like, its own separate country. No, like, we don't have to times, answer but, it. Like, no, I'm, I know. not I'm, supposed to. No, no, I know. I'm just talking about this. it's a mystery. <laughs> I'm just talking about this story specifically. But anyway, so, um, like I said, you know, 2014, April 2014, like, the troop buildup. Oh into Ukraine kind of starts from Russia. This, like, just happened. What? This. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, <laughs> recent. Um, <laughs> it's, like, you saw something in your phone? What happened? Um, but anyway, um, Gherkin, you know, like I said, he came in with just a few dozen troops, but he, he actually did this thing where he, like, would have them um, drive around two big armored personnel carriers every night. To make it kind of, like, seem like there was a lot of troops. And that was part oh. of how he was able to, like, take over some of these, like, towns and stuff. That's he would just kind of intimidate de- them. deliberate. Um, yeah, it's, right? it's kind takes, of, like, like sneaky. planning. Definitely. It's in the, the grand tradition of, you know, using, you know, tactics in war that are, like, meant to confuse or, you know, trick the other side. Um, but apparently it was, it was pretty effective. Um, so, you know, this kind of, like, small-scale invasion kind of marked the beginning of the Russia, you know, officially secret involvement in, in the Ukrainian crisis. And it's, it's like, a conflict that's been, like, very hot, where there's been, like, a ton of, you know, fighting and everything over, like, towns and cities and airports and what have you. Wow. And then there's been other times where it's, like, more kind of just low-level, like, you know, shelling every night and kind of, like monitoring this like conflict zone between the two areas but it's been going on you know continuously since 2014 since april of 2014 up until like now and who knows when this is really going to end right and somewhere between 8000 and 10000 people have been killed Whoa. including you know combatants on both sides and also of course a lot of um you know innocent civilians and it's actually displaced over a million and a half people. Displaced which I think is pretty crazy. Meaning... meaning, you know, there's conflict here. This is where I live. So then I move to a different part of the country. Oh, okay. So th- these are, you know, what people, if you're a rep, you know, if you leave the country, then you're a refugee. If you remain within the country, then you're what's called an IDP, an internally displaced person. And there are apparently a large number of those in this conflict and it's just crazy to think that this is like in europe right now you know this isn't like the conflict in south sudan or something or you know it's not syria or yemen it's like you know right there in eastern europe you know whatever a less than a day's drive away from paris probably yeah that's crazy you know yeah it's just kind of crazy to think about it and how this is like Really a situation that we haven't seen since, like, World War II, where a country just, like, goes in and, like, takes over another part of a con- a, a different country, like, in Europe. That's scary. Oh. And who oh. really knows where this is going to end, right? But, like, um, where it, like, kind of started, like, what kind of, like, sparked this crisis um, was what 
are called the Euromaidan protests in 2013. So, um, not to get, like, too much into this, but the president at the time of Ukraine was Viktor Yanukovych, okay? And he was very much allied with Russia. He's from eastern Ukraine, the Russian part of Ukraine. And there was this point where a deal was supposed to happen with NATO, with Europe, where there was going to be more economic integration with Europe. There was going to be kind of this turning towards the West, right? Okay. And Yanukovych essentially said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take this $15 billion bailout from Russia instead. Signaling, like, we're not going to turn west, we're going to turn east. And we're going to be more Russia-focused. And a lot of the people in Ukraine, like, two-thirds of the people in Ukraine are kind of ethnically Ukrainian. They speak Ukrainian. And a third is ethnically Russian Russian. and speaks Russian. Um, Roughly, I mean, that's leaving out a lot of nuance, but roughly that's how things break down. And the two-thirds of the, you know, the Ukrainian part was very upset with Yanukovych. So they, um, you know, did a lot of protesting and eventually actually pushed him out of power. But in the meantime, Viktor Yanukovych also responded, like, very violently to the protests. And also by taking away, like, the rights to protest and the right to, like, assembly that, um, you know, they were trying to exert. But that did not stop the protests at all. Like I said, they just pushed and pushed and pushed. Good. You know, until he was taken out. But I think, you know, this year, 2014, it was just, like, a fucking insane year in Ukraine. Um, I think it's just, like, crazy how much, like, happened. So, like, in February, Yanukovych is ousted after the mass protests and then a, a vote in parliament to, like, actually push him out. Which technically didn't meet the threshold to remove him from power, but at that point, it, like, it didn't really matter. Like, he was gone, he fled to Russia, and that's, like, where he stayed. In March, Russia invades Crimea. Uh, Crimea okay. is... We've a... talked about Crimea before. Yeah, definitely. I'm not sure on the pod, but, like, we've definitely talked about it. Okay. Um, essentially, Crimea is a peninsula that is between Ukraine and Russia. It's on the Black Sea. And Russia has a huge, uh, a huge, um, <laughs> China, uh, a, a huge, uh, base there, uh, uh, you know, Navy base. Uh, like, the, I think it's their biggest one, actually, uh, in this city called Sevastopol. Um, so this part of Ukraine especially has, It's been back and forth, but for most of its history, for the vast majority of the past 200 years, it's been part of Russia. And the vast majority of the people that live there at this point are Russians. Okay. Now, it should be said that the reason why it's almost entirely ethnic Russians that live there is because I believe Stalin um, essentially starved out the people that lived there until they all died or almost all of them. Oh my God. And then had Russian people move there. Not that it's the, those people's fault, right. That live there now. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, again, this is about history, right? This one is kind of like about the weirdness and the sort of the, the inherent mysteriousness of these lands. Like is Crimea, a part of Russia or a part of Ukraine? Should it be a part of Crimea or or a part of Ukraine or a part of Russia? You know, these are like open questions and people of good faith can have disagreements about it, right? Yes. But obviously the way that Russia went about this by saying like, essentially we have to protect the Russians that live in this other country because, you know, we don't like the government that is being elected there or instituted there by their own people. So they're very separated it seems what the the russian part of the ukraine and the ukrainian part the ukraine right there is definitely a big conflict like if if you live in the u.s you know it's i it's like the the difference between the north and the south but like pumped up by a thousand you know it's um even geographically like the eastern part is farmlands it's some of the most fertile farmland in the world actually and the part in the west is all like woodlands so there's like this geographical divide there's this language divide uh and obviously you know being situated where it is between russia 
and then Europe, you know, on the other side, it's like Romania is like right next to them. So there's this like natural conflict, natural like tension between, you know, these two sides of Ukraine that's like kind of always existed. And Crimea itself is like the sort of best encapsulation of that, right? Um, because the people of Crimea did technically vote to join Russia. Now, that vote was like 97 to 3 because, you know, people who would have voted against it were like tortured and prevented from voting and stuff like that. There was like, you know, a um, the Russian special forces actually like wearing no insignia. You know, you think about that, just like yeah. these meaty like guys with like heavy machine guns in just like all black uniforms, you know, like no insignia at all, just like walking around the town, like, taking over the government buildings, taking over the airport, you know, just, like, standing on street corners, just, like, <laughs> saying, like, nope, now this is part of Russia. Now you are part of Russia. Oh. And a lot of people around you just been, being like, okay. But then some people being like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, the ethnic Tatars, or Tatars, or however you're supposed to say it, um, who are uh, Turkic people, uh, who are Muslim, who've been, were some of those people being killed by Stalin back in the day, and who are very much, like, persecuted by certain yeah. segments of the Russian population. Yeah, like, they wouldn't want to be a part of Russia at all. Exactly. I mean, think about that person. Think about that Turkic, you know, uh, Tatar person, like, sitting in their apartment being like, I hope that guy in the black uniform doesn't come and shoot me because no one's going to fucking do anything about it if they do, you know? I don't know. It's just like those people, the ones who are like caught in the middle of the conflicts that I always feel like really bad for. I mean, yeah. everyone obviously involved, but like, you know, especially like those like ethnic minorities. Especially when people don't really know what's happening. Right. Because, like, what you know, it's, it's all. I feel like that's almost the worst part. Yeah. Not knowing, like, I don't know. Right, just, like, the uncertainty of being, like, captured in this kind of conflict where you don't know what the government is, you don't know who's in charge, you don't know what the future of, like, your land is going to be. Yeah, it's, like, very unsettling. Very, very unsettling. Um, So, I'm, like, halfway through this year of 2014, by the way. Um, So, after, you know, Crimea is invaded um, in March, uh, the next month in April... Uh, that's when pro-Russian separatists in the east eastern part of Ukraine start taking over towns, taking over buildings, and eventually they form these two, like, republics. Again, in scare quotes. The Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic. Okay. And these are two areas that, you know, again, have been historically more Russian and ostensibly what these people were trying to do is, like, create these, like, separate kind of little mini-states that are defined by their, you know, kind of small-scale, you know, loyalties and, you know, whatever. And Russia kind of has a recent history of doing stuff like this. Yes, yes. Right, like, in Moldova with Transnistria (laughs) and in uh, Georgia with, like, South Ossetia and Akazia. So this is not, you know, this is kind of like their playbook at this point, right? And I think it's important to kind of see this in context of, like, what Putin has been doing since 2000, since he came in. He, yeah. You know, essentially, it seems like he wants to reinstitute the USSR. Like, that seems like it's his main kind of, like, end point. But, again, who knows, you know? Back in the USSR. Right. I'm sure he loves that song. You know how lucky you are, so, Huge, boy. Huge Beatles fans, Vladdy is. Um, Vladdy. Vladdy. I call him Vladdy because we're friends. We're not. <laughs> He's not a good person. I would never be friends with him. Just to be clear. Uh, just to be clear. I feel like Putin would make a good centaur. He would. That picture has been created many, many times. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Wait, are you, you're referencing that, right? You're just, you're fucking with me? You've never seen that? No. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely I a just thing. feel it in my bones. Maybe I have seen it and I don't really remember. That must be it, because it's, it's, it's like pretty famous. It's something I just like looked at and scrolled. Well, I mean, the picture of him bare-chested riding on the horse is obviously the more famous, but then... That's the one I've definitely the, seen, the, that. The transformation of that 
into him as a centaur is definitely a thing as well. Wow. Learn something new every day, especially <laughs> on Wednesdays. Wednesday. Wednesday. So July 17th, uh, and this is really fucking tragic. Um, oh you probably remember it. Rebels, um, the, the pro-Russian separatist rebels in the East probably accidentally shoot down Malaysian Airlines Flight 17. And that's it takes what a, happened? That's what happened. It took a long time to figure it out, partly because the rebels, you know, were blocking the areas. It was you an know. oops? That's what they think. So the... Oh, my God. It, in the days or weeks before this happened, the rebels had been supplied with surface-to-air missiles by Russia um, called Books or SA-11s. And they had actually shot down two Ukrainian military planes that were, like, really high-flying. So what the investigators think is that they thought this was another Ukrainian military plane, and they shot it down. So they didn't. They knew they were shooting it down a plane, but they didn't think that it was, you know, this plane with 298 people who were killed. Hopefully, oh right? You, you would hope, oh at least. Oh, my God. But it, it's, it's pretty sickening. Um, what the rebels did do, though, was they did block investigators from, you know, getting to the site. And they also prevented bodies from being buried for days. So, you know, you can definitely blame them for that, at least knowingly. So as 2014 goes on, as time goes on, the fighting just gets worse. The rebels start to lose because, again, they're like these, you know, rebels, not the like pr more professionalized army of Ukraine, right? But what happens to turn the tide to create this kind of stalemate that's been going on ever since is that Russia invades for real this time. So mm. they continue to deny that there's any official involvement, right? Oh, my God. But like, clearly there is, right? <laughs> because people see Russian tanks going into Ukraine and, like, these lines of tanks, right? It going is... from Russia to Ukraine that people can see. It is, It is like, so amazing to me how far cognitive dissonance can go. I know, right? I mean, it's, it's like, doublethink. It's, it's I, it you know, it's Orwellian. I, it... <laughs> I don't know. It's it's called it's ghosting, right? Essentially, like these leaders, you know, these these people in power think that just because they have the power, right? They pull the purse, they pull the strings that they can just say whatever they want into reality. It's not it doesn't work that way. Like it doesn't matter whether you're the president of the United States or the mayor of a town or whatever. You can't just like say something and make it true. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, you don't have that. You, no one has that power. But Putin especially is, like, you know, seemingly the guilty of The cure to cancer is bagels. <laughs> the cure to cancer is this snake oil. Buy it for me. Um, <laughs> people do that, too. <laughs> We're going to talk sense. about that in a Weird News Extra. We're going to talk oh, really? about that. Oh, I didn't yep. even know. I did not even know. So Stay tuned. Um, right. Uh, stay, listen to the end. Um, so, you know, there are also, like, um, rebels, you know, the pro-separatist rebels who anonymously report later on that their commanders are all Russians. So what they do is, you know, these Russian generals, they'll, like, retire or go on leave or whatever. Oh, my God. And then they'll go over, you know, and... Um, to this war. You know, to this war and, like, lead those troops. And, you know, some of these, like, especially this one instance, I don't remember his name... He was uh, later killed in fighting in Syria and in his obituary and everything it like, you know, talked about it actually like talked about his time, you know, fighting in Ukraine and stuff. This is nuts. Right. So, you know, like I said, the, the fighting is continuing. There's like this de facto border that's created between the DPR, the, you know, Donetsk People's Republic and the LPR, the Luhansk People's Republic and the rest of Ukraine. It's like this little strip, you know, along the border between Ukraine and Russia. And this, you know, kind of mirrors that historic divide that we were talking about earlier. Um, and this conflict, it, it was supposed to have been resolved way back when, on September 5th, 2014, mm. by what's called the Minsk Agreement. And this was meant to institute a ceasefire, and also it was supposed to get rid of all those, you know, illegal foreign <laughs> Russian 
troops, <laughs> Russian, <laughs> um, that, Chloe, you got me sick, um, that are, what? you know, clearly <laughs> there, because, like, everyone can fucking see that they're there, right? Uh, but but this agreement was, like, an utter failure. So it do they did have, not like, stop the conflict at all. So it, it's, is it just, do they have Russian flags and stuff? No. Okay, and so... They're, they're, they're actively hiding their presence there, but the, you know, there are satellites that capture the movements of Russian troops across the border. How do we, how do we know they're Russian? They're coming from Russia into Ukraine. Like the like these are ru- like oh, Russian duh. tanks. The like duh. the <laughs> like the, the uh, personnel it's like, carriers. It's like the other aspect of it that ever that he's trying to make public is like getting to me. What uh, what do you mean? Other aspect he's trying to make public? Like um, like there's nothing going on here. Right. It's it's that ghosting we're talking about. Yeah. Um. And even when like things happen that he can't can't ignore right can't deny like there are uh, instances in which russian like troops and paratroopers and like members of the gru have been captured inside of ukraine and what putin says is like oh you know they um you know are on leave or they went across the border accidentally you know things like that Mm. it's like these totally implausible excuses that like make no sense with a wink and a smile, of course. Um, and, of course, you know, the shelling along that conflict zone continued, continues to terrorize and kill people and damage buildings. So, you know, again, the the headline here is that thousands and thousands of people, you know, tens of, up to 10,000 have died and thousands and thousands of people are being, like, terrorized and, like, you know, in active conflict uh, zones you know, right now in Europe. Like, again, it's just, like, weird that the, we don't talk about that all the time. Yeah. Um, so by November 2014, the AP reports that 80 unmarked military vehicles in Ukraine are carrying Russian troops. And there's, you know, this kind of, like, buildup, right? Um, this is, again, after the Minsk Agreement. So, you know, clearly it, it did not stop anything. It actually intensified after that. And um, there were also mostly unmarked vehicles. Although there one, there was one that was actually marked as a Russian, um, you know, hospital van or whatever, seen going back over the border with Russian troops in them. But you know, nurses, other people involved in that, are absolutely like not allowed to speak about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, and. You know, yeah, the, the, it's it's just like basically an open secret, right? The recruitment of the troops, because of course that's happening. They're doing it kind of just out on the out in the open, <laughs> but again, it's it's like they mask it. Why does Russia do that? Well, again, we'll we'll, we'll get to the that... theories at the end. I, I know you the, the mystery of it, right? <laughs> but we'll we'll talk about it. Um, one way that they do mask this movement of troops to Ukraine, though, is under the guise of providing humanitarian help. Oh, so that's... Right, because technically, according to Russian law, you can't be a mercenary. So you're not a mercenary. You're just a volunteer. You're going to provide humanitarian help with your AK-47. I know, right? And your fucking mortar. You know? (laughs) Go be a humanitarian. (laughs) Okay. And sometimes, and this is really bad, actually, they are sometimes disguised as Red Cross. No. Yeah, which really pisses off the real Red Cross, as you can imagine. The families of these Russian soldiers... That is... I know, it's pretty low. Um, The families of these Russian soldiers are also, like, absolutely not allowed to talk about this at all. They're, like, intimidated. They're, in some instances, not given the pensions they're supposed to get things of that nature, and they're not given, like, the information about how their, um, you know, son or daughter, like, actually died. And there's an organization actually called the Russian Union of Committees of Soldiers' Mothers that, like, want to find out about this, want to speak out about it, right? It's sort of reminiscent of the, um, you know, um, the mothers of La Plaza de Mayo, or the grandmothers of La Plaza de Mayo. Yes, yes. You know, from the... um, 
the Los Desaparecidos of the Argentine, Argentine uh, Dirty War. Dirty War. Right. <laughs> Long title. Uh, very tragic. Um, but, you know, clearly the, the mothers, the family, like, want to know. You know, they have a right to know. At least I think they have a right to know. Clearly, the Kremlin doesn't think they have a right to know. But, you know, that's sort of beside the point, I guess. Um, the press, of course, are also, like, attacked yeah. and intimidated, as they always are in Putin's Russia. Um, in mid-September 2014, a senior producer for a news network that talked about Russian military involvement in Ukraine named Ksenia Batanova was badly beaten, oh including god. having her skull fractured. <gasps> oh my god. Yeah. Um, you know, j- just for reporting that these deaths had happened in Ukraine. And, like, talking about how this is, was a thing that's happening. Big, you know, that's, that was her fucking crime. Um, and, you know, the... Um, oh, the, uh, w- w- one thing that, um, you know, kind of contributes to us, like, knowing all of this stuff as well, is that in 2016, a Ukrainian hacker group called Cyberhunta obtained a trove of emails, like, a, um, I think a gigabyte of emails from the office of a high-level Putin aide named Vladislav Surkov. Okay. Who is essentially, like, overseeing the Russian involvement in the conflict in eastern Ukraine. And this showed in, like, exacting detail the extreme extent of Russians' involvement in eastern Ukraine. Like, they were fucking micromanaging everything there. From, like, the weapons and the uniforms and the troop movements... To who was going to win elections in these, you know, like, re- local sham elections. To, like, expense reports. This is, this is like, mind-blowing to me that yeah. something like this can just happen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very bizarre, you know. I guess it's not totally dissimilar to things that the United States has done in the past. But... I feel like we've gotten over this, right? Like, we're past this phase. But clearly, Russia is not. (laughs) Like, they're just getting back into this. Um, This is more like, you know, something that a country would do, you know, in the 19th century or something. You know, this is like colonialism, basically. Yes. So, in uh, February 2017, there was a third peace agreement after Minsk 1 and Minsk 2, which we didn't even mention because... It doesn't even need mentioning. Um, That third peace agreement was signed, but again, the low-level conflict continues. Like, none of these peace agreements seems to do anything. Partly because the Ukrainian regime and the Russian regimes kind of don't want to admit what's really going on here. Yeah, they want to keep it a secret anyway. Right, they they would rather it kind of, like, got brushed under the rug and neither of them had to kind of lose face by really, like, losing the war. But, again, that doesn't make it any better for the people that live in, like, Donetsk and Luhansk. Are there people fighting back? Oh, yeah, definitely. There And, and there was from the very beginning. Um, there were, you know, sort of irregular militias formed on the Ukrainian yeah, side. Yeah, You know, just like there were on the um, pro-Russian side. For sure, they, they were the ones kind of out there on the front lines at the beginning um, and throughout the conflict, really. But, you know, more so, I guess, now integrated into the Ukrainian army. And the Ukrainian army itself has been doing more um, training with the U.S., with, um, you know, what some people, I'm sure, hope will be their future NATO partners. Because that's kind of, again, where this started, where it goes back to, right, is Ukraine part of Europe? Is it going to join NATO? Is it going to join the European Union? Mm. Um, that's, that, that's the kind of like existential conflict, right, that sparked and continues to fire this war. Um, this civil war, I mean, essentially, right? It's a low-level civil war, but still. Um, that, you know, again, we kind of just forget about because it's not in the news all the time. But I think it's important. Um, and like we've been talking about throughout it's really not clear why Russia, why Putin are really interested in doing this, right? <laughs> like, again, why? What's the, what's the why behind this? Yeah. Um, there was a, a really good Vox article that presented kind of like two theories of this, right? 
And I thought, I thought this encapsulated it pretty well. Um, so theory one is that Putin is kind of strategically creating this ongoing regional conflict, right? And as we talked about earlier, just as they did in Moldova with Transnistria, in Georgia with South Ossetia, essentially to create leverage over Ukraine, right? If if I have the oh. ability to say, like, there either is or is not going to be ongoing regional conflict within your country, then I have leverage over you, right? And this is, you know, to get economic concessions or, you know, to exert leverage over the internal domestic policy decisions of, you know, the leaders. And, and it's kind of been working for them, you know, so that I think that one kind of makes sense. You know, this is like a, this is Putin's playbook, right? Oh my God. This is like what he does. This is in his wheelhouse um, in terms of what like the modern Russian guy. state. Right. <laughs> Again, not a good person. What a guy. <laughs> Vladdy, I'm sorry. Ew. You, you gotta change. Ew. Um, or just let someone else take Ew. it. Ew. Who's better? Um, the, you know, not that I'm telling the Russian people what to do, but it seems like could have a better leader than that. Um, I'm sure they could say that it's the same to us. But anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent. They right. Um, so theory two is that Putin's nationalist expansionist rhetoric essentially forced him into doing this, forced him into the conflict. Essentially, he did it to save face. Okay, okay, that's, that's what that I was theory. thinking. Exactly. That's that's essentially what that is, is that he didn't really want to do this because, again, there are a lot of really good reasons not to want to do this. It takes political um, capital away from him at a time when he's not gaining it. He's certainly losing it because the economy is not doing very well. When this conflict started, it was doing much worse, actually. And that's his main source of, you know, um, legitimate political power other than, you know, controlling the media and, you know, the economy and, you know, through these kleptocrats and he just on and on to, and on and on. He just wants, like, something else to control, I guess? He feels like he has to control the narrative, I think. That's more than anything. Like, he, he wants to define what is Russia um, and what it should be. I think he feels that Russia should be a larger country. It's pretty big. It's the biggest country on Earth. I, I, is that not enough for you? That's the is question. That, I mean, do you really need more? Right? I mean, if I were, like, talking to him, like, just trying to convince him, like, you, you, you're the biggest country already. Yeah. You know, like, you got plenty of people. What? Why not just, like, let them live their lives and uh, just try to, I don't know. I wonder how long it takes to drive across Russia. Ooh, that's a good question. I'm pretty, they've probably done it on Top Gear. Uh. (laughs) I would think probably at least, like, 48 hours. Wow. Maybe. How much is it for us? I know from here to Austin is 24 hours. Wow. So that's like almost the entire north-south of the United States. So all the way across the United States, east to west, probably like maybe 36 hours or something. I don't know. Did you know in the Elizabethan era, they didn't talk about length this time? Like, I'm 20 minutes away. Like, that didn't make any sense to them. Because they didn't have, like, well-functioning clocks. I know. That's, That's why, right? Did I get it right? Yes. Did I get the answer? Did I I pass the test? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is like how I always think. This is why I love history (laughs) mysteries. Oh, this is a history mystery. It's sort of recent history. Yes. Anyway, that was the whole. That was the whole thing. And you know, obviously, it's still going on. But um, I think we can kind of take a look back. You know, over the past four years, what's happened, and kind of you know take stock of it. Um, But it's you know very tragic. and, you know, it's, like, an official mystery because, like, Russia may or may not be involved. Scare quotes, scare quotes. But, like, they are. Um, it seems pretty clear, according to reporting. So, my sources, Seth Fransman at the Jerusalem Post, um, a unsigned article in The Economist, which is titled Ukraine and Russia are both trapped by the war in Donbass. Mm-hmm. Donbass being the name for that region of eastern Ukraine. 
Vox, uh, that Vox article, which was like a series of cards about the Ukraine crisis, and various Wikipedia articles, of course, um, on... Wikipedia! You gotta love Wikipedia. Um, long Wikipedia articles. I, I did not read even... That's a hole you could go down. tenth of what was out there about this. There was so much. Oh, my God. Um, there's so much out there about this, um, about this crisis, about this conflict. Um, an article by... It goes deep. It goes super, super deep. Um, I could have gone on for, like, way, way longer. Um, <laughs> so, Phil McCausland at NBC News, also Robert Windrum at NBC News, and Maria Tsetkova at Reuters. So, that is my story. Do you have some weird shit in the news? I do have some weird shit. Thank you for asking. Um, weird, weird, weird shit in the news. Weird in shit the news. in the news. Weird, 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 weird shit in the news. News! News. I like the news. I'm so hoarse. I'm sorry. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. The famous Mr. Ed. So, mine is by Ye Charlotte Ming. And it's in National Geographic. Meet the worshippers who believe they're aliens in human form. Oh, boy. Ooh. Oh, um, boy. So this is about a, a really interesting, like, actually really fast-growing religious sect in Brazil. And they're called Vale do Amanhenser. So what they believe is that alien. this is sort of, they do the ancient aliens thing, right? So they're, they're like, totally, totally, totally bought into the ancient aliens thing, right? And they think that aliens have, on a recurring basis, come back to Earth. And they are actually the current incarnations of the aliens on <laughs> Earth. Bam. <laughs> jaguars. They're called jaguars. Are they and playing they, they a wear, game? They wear cool costumes from different religions all around the world. No, they are entirely serious. Um, and they have chosen to live this life where they do a lot of rituals. They do a lot of like praying to different types of gods. And, um, I don't know. It's, it seemed pretty cool. Um, it was established by this woman named Naiva Chavez Zelaya, who was known as Aunt Neva in 1959, actually. And they um, have their, like, headquarters or whatever near Brasilia, which used to be the capital of Brazil um, before it was uh, replaced by Rio de Janeiro, like, around that same time, I think. And what the article talks about is how it kind of seems like it was a response to this, like, modernizing of Brazil, right? It's, like, this way to, like, recapture these, like, traditional practices whether they're from Brazil or from Egypt or from different, like, parts of the world. Okay. And it kind of, like, molds them together into this, like, meta-religion kind of thing. Okay. And and they wear really cool costumes, so I would definitely they look do? up that article. Yeah, there's, there's like, a lot of good pictures in it. Okay, what article is this? Um, it is on National Geographic, Meet the Worshippers Who Believe They're Aliens in Human Form. Yep. So you got some? You got some weird shit in the news? Yeah, so... Oh, good. There have been crack pipe vending machines... Uh, I heard about that. ...showing up in Long Island. Fucking Long Island. First of all, what the fuck? <laughs> right. I just... And I'm trying not to use that phrase in this podcast. What? What the fuck? Yeah, but it's hard not what? to with the things we talk about. Right. Anyway, I just... Whose idea was this? And come forward. I think it says they found a three. I'm looking at an article from CNN. Police want to know who put crack pipe vending machines on Long Island. Um, I also wanted to talk about um, how a... Hmm, nope. Nope. <laughs> no editing. Nope. 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 <laughs> no, not doing that one. Nope. Cool. Um, good. Well, um... That's gonna be... It's gonna, it's gonna be in the weird news extra. Cool. Well, I'll definitely post the one that we recorded, like, fucking two weeks ago. Um, that I still haven't posted. Need to edit it. Um, so, 
Thank you so much for listening. Oh my god. Oh my god. Y'all have no idea. It's important to support the little people, right? We're both pretty tiny, so I think you should support us. I'm what? only five feet tall. That's so cute. <laughs> I made a short joke. <laughs> I make short jokes all the time. Um, but no, yeah, we, we really do appreciate it. Like My family makes short jokes about you all the time. I bet they do. My brother does. Any chance <laughs> he gets. Yeah. Uh, I do. I do not care. <laughs> like I think they're funny. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it. You know, it's like not super easy for us to keep doing this every week. Like we we are both like legitimately super busy. Yes. But we keep doing it. Like a because we love like mysteries and learning and like building it's like, our. It's empathy. a fun little project. I just love being able to make something every week. Yes. Yes. But, like, the fact that people are actually listening to it and, like, our listener base is, like, growing essentially from us doing nothing except doing this every week. Just, like, just doing it, not even editing it. Like, I think that's pretty cool. It makes me happy. I am smiling. So, anyway, good, good shit. Good shit. Good. In the news. Yeah. That's some good shit in the news. Us? Hell yeah. Right? Team mystery. Team freaking mystery. That was a good high five. I know, right? Um, so on that good high five, good job by you! No!